Well, if you know anything, you know that a magician is good at concealing the truth. That they can get you to see one thing, that they get you to see only what they want you to see. And they hide from you what they don't want you to see. Well, we're entering into this new series called The Kingdom of Heaven, and probably a big question is, is where is it? Where is the kingdom of heaven? I mean, Jesus said when he came here on earth that no one will ever anymore worship or go to this mountain or that mountain, but rather we will all worship in spirit and in truth. What Jesus was saying is that the kingdom would no longer be a location that we go to, but that the kingdom would be something that's birthed within our own hearts. You see the word apocalypse? Have you heard of that word before? Like what makes it, what, it, what comes to your mind when you think of the word apocalypse? Typically we might think of like Armageddon, like one of those like end time type of movies or something like that. But the Greek word for apocalypse actually means reveal, to uncover the truth, to uncover what was previously concealed. And when Jesus came, he apocalypsed, he revealed the kingdom of God. And just like a magician who has his tricks, sometimes he reveals to you that it's actually just a plastic thumb that is concealing a blue cloth just like that. That the reality is that magic wasn't really true, it was just a figment of your imagination, that there really in reality was a fake thumb and that thumb was concealing a blue piece of cloth. So I had to do magic because last week uh, Covenant Kids killed it. Actually, after Covenant Kids service, Kyle texted me and was like, hey, good luck following that up uh, next week. Um, And so I had to come up with something to kind of bridge the gap. So I wouldn't call myself a magician, but you know, I'm on my way. But anyways, this morning I'm really excited because over the next four weeks we're going to take a look at the kingdom of God. Where is it? What is it? How do we access it? How do we live in it? And we're going to be kind of unpacking this because this is what Jesus brought. Yes, he brought forgiveness of sins. He brought salvation for us. But he brought more than that. He brought an entire kingdom, an entire realm where his will is effective, where his power is at play, and we have the opportunity to access and to live in the light of that kingdom. When we say eternity is now, eternal life is now, that's what we're saying. God's kingdom is now. So this morning, here's kind of our our big idea that we're working from. It's this, because Jesus came in power, because Jesus came in power, we know that the kingdom of heaven is here and is advancing regardless of what we experience. So because Jesus came in power, we know that his kingdom is here in advance, here and advancing regardless of what we see or what we perceive in any given moment in time or what your experience, what my experience might be at any given moment in time. And when we look at Christ, we can actually see the unfolding of his kingdom. We're going to be taking a look at uh, Matthew chapter 11 and it's a story about John the Baptist and Uh, John the Baptist is a pretty significant character uh, in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. John the Baptist is is listed as one of the the, the primo prophets in scriptures. I mean, there's like Moses and Elijah and like John the Baptist is right up there with them as one of the major prophets that the Lord sent. And John the Baptist came right before Jesus. Jesus came kind of on the heels of of the preaching and baptizing ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, um, his ministry... His uh, testimony was basically, hey, prepare yourself because the one who God has been promising you, who's going to bring his 
kingdom and all of its promises, he's coming, like really soon, get ready. And really at the height of John's ministry, I mean, thousands of people were coming out to the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized because they were having great expectation, great hope of God's deliverance of them. I mean, John wore some really interesting and very interesting wardrobe. He had a very interesting diet. And all, even though he had all of his oddities, man, he had a huge following. But we catch here in Matthew 11 is at the end of his life that his ministry isn't as glamorous as it once was. The victories here on earth that he was experiencing were no longer happening in his life. And he began to wonder, where is this kingdom? And who is this one that you sent? Because he's not delivering the way that I expected. Read with me here in Matthew 11, verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to, them, said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, John had experienced the power of the kingdom. I mean, he saw incredible things happen, but here he's in the dungeon. He's actually at the hands and the mercy of his own enemies. His message is the very thing that led him into this dire position. And he is wondering, man, Jesus, where are you in this? I thought you were going to bring deliverance. I don't see deliverance in my life. John was expecting, and actually just a couple of chapters before, had even claimed of Jesus. He said, hey, you see this guy over here, this Jesus? He's the one that we've been looking for. He's the one that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. He's the one that's going to deliver us. And here he is, John is in prison, and he's like, where is it, Jesus? Where's your deliverance? Because I don't see it. I don't experience it. You see, John was experiencing disappointment. The trajectory of what he perceived of how God was going to work wasn't panning out the way that he anticipated. And he was disappointed. And his disappointment led to this spiritual paradox. A paradox is like a mind trick. That it only gets us to see our own experience. Only gets us to see what's in front of us. It was kind of like walking to a fun house and you see one of those mirrors the mirror either makes you look really tall and thin or really short and, uh, uh, short and plump. And so if you were to look at that mirror like every single day, you'd begin to believe that either you were much taller than you were and you probably should join like the BGSU men's basketball team or that you should go on a diet. But the thing is that the mirror is not what is real. What you see is not what is really true about who you are. But disappointment leads us to believe something is true of us and the kingdom of God that's not really true. We've all asked that question before. Where are you, God? Where are you? Like, Lord, I just lost my job. Where are you? Like, Lord, I just broke up with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Where are you? Lord, I'm still single. Where are you? Lord, I was just had the most horrific diagnosis Ever. The trajectory of my life right now doesn't look good. 
where are you? Lord, I'm struggling with chronic illness or mental illness. Lord, where are you? God, I was expecting this. I was, ex- I was expecting this, this, this raise or this promotion. It didn't come. Lord, where are you? And our disappointment can be- make us believe that Jesus is not at work. Or if he is at work, that he doesn't see us or care about us. Disappointment comes in unanswered prayers. Sometimes we thank God for unanswered prayers, but oftentimes I've found myself when I don't have answered prayers, God, do you not hear me? Do you not see me? Sometimes disappointment comes when our religious system that we've built for ourselves doesn't play out. Father, I have been faithful to going to church and small group and reading my Bible and serving and leading, and I don't feel the way I thought I was going to feel. I'm not experiencing what I thought I should experience. I'm not appreciated the way that I thought I would be appreciated. And we feel like our, 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 when our religious system fails us, we wonder, God, where are you? I've been living faithfully for you, and you're not delivering the way that I anticipated. Or sometimes just even looking at the world around us, we see the evil structures all about us, and we're disappointed. God, I thought that things would be better. Lord, I don't see your kingdom advancing, but I see a whole lot of other kingdoms advancing. God, where are you? Just a few years ago, I had the opportunity to be part of a, a kind of a, a new project, a new ministry initiative halfway around the world in one of the largest countries in the world and one of the biggest cities in the world. And I was working with a team of people and we were trusting God to actually start campus ministries on, uh, in a city that had no campus ministries. Hundreds of thousands of students were trusting God to use us to reach. And I had a pretty, by title, a pretty significant leadership role amongst this team in planting these ministries. Now, I was there on a given 10-day uh, visit, missionary uh, trip over there as all the partners were coming into the city to work together. And let me just say, I didn't see God's kingdom advancing that week. You see, the hotel accommodations weren't exactly what I thought they were. The food wasn't quite sitting with me as well as I thought it was. The climate was much hotter more humid than I was anticipating. And not only that, I felt like, for me personally, the hardest thing is I would sit in these meetings and I felt like I had nothing to contribute. Or I felt like when I did contribute, no one heard me. Like, Lord, I'm halfway around the world for you. I left my family back at home and here I am and I don't feel like I matter. I don't feel like I can contribute anything to this initiative. I was having a bad week. Let's just say I was throwing a really great pity party for myself. And we're about four or five days into this trip, and I'm riding a train. I'm sitting with one of the pastors who's uh, with us and a part of this team, and we're just chit-chatting. We're just kind of hanging out and just like talking. And out of nowhere, he just says to me, Nick, do you realize how blessed we are? (laughs) I'm thinking, no, I'm not feeling very particularly blessed at this moment in time. I'm actually feeling rather quite miserable. But I couldn't say that to him because it would look bad on me. So I was like, like, what do you mean? And he just began to share, like, Nick, do you realize what we've gotten to see? I mean, people back at home in our churches don't get to see what we're seeing God do right now in this city at this time. And honestly, it, 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 it broke my heart because really at that moment, I realized that my eyes could only see myself. 
could only see the prison that I had put myself in, and I couldn't see the works of Jesus because I only could see me. You see, my eyes needed to shift from me to Jesus. Seeing the kingdom of heaven, seeing the kingdom requires seeing Jesus the king. His miracles reveal his identity. Seeing the kingdom requires seeing Jesus the king. His miracles reveal his identity. That's what he says to John. Report to John the deeds that you hear and that you see. You see, Jesus came and did miracles. And sometimes we can think that these miracles are prescriptive, but they're not really necessary. That's not necessarily true. Just because Jesus healed someone in the scriptures doesn't mean he'll heal me. His miracles actually reveal who he is. His power his kingdom, his identity. Mark 2 tells a pretty fairly known healing story. You've probably heard it if you've been around church for a little bit. It's four guys take their uh, paralytic friend up on a roof. It's so crowded in this house that no one can get into it. And so the guys begin to break the roof open and lower the man in front of Jesus. I mean, kind of really, in a rude way, disrupting Jesus' preaching, teaching at that moment. But Jesus pauses and looks at the man. And seeing his faith, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious leaders throw their hands up in the air. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? No one can forgive sins other than God alone. Who do you think that you are forgiving sins? And Jesus says to them in in verse 10, Hey, that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive the sins. I say to you, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And people are just astonished. They're beside themselves. Now oftentimes when we kind of unpack that passage, we can really focus on the friends and the paralytic and their faith. And again, that's good, but it's it's a second act. It's a secondary act to the primary uh, message that Mark is trying to communicate to us through that miracle. It's that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. He said that you would know that I have the power to forgive sins. And he does a miracle. Now, who's the son of man? Now, that's important for us to know. In Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus actually steps on the scene, Daniel, one of the Lord's prophets, prophesied about the coming of a son of man. It says this in chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What Daniel says is that when he saw the heavens, he saw God who looked like a man descending on earth to establish an eternal dominion where people from every people, nation, language, tribe would come under his authority and his rulership. In his kingdom, his dominion would be one that would not diminish. It would not fade away. And it would last for eternity. No rulership, no kingdom on earth has ever experienced that. Every kingdom that rises falls. Every kingdom that rises, falls. Every power on earth that comes to power eventually fades. But Christ is the Son of Man. 
and his is established and will be established for all time. And what Jesus is saying to John, do you see what I'm doing? Because it tells you who I am and the authority that I bring in the kingdom that I bring. Jesus' works are evidence enough for us to believe. Jesus' works are evidence enough for us to see the kingdom and to put our hope and trust in him. Growing up, one of my favorite movies, and it's probably one, definitely one of my favorite Disney movies, was Aladdin. I mean, in high school, <clears throat> I'll admit it, I probably watched Aladdin and Forrest Gump like the most, like just kind of on repeat. I love, I love the story of Aladdin. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Aladdin wishes to be a prince, that he could win the hand of Jasmine, that he might be worthy enough. And so he wishes to be a prince, and the genie makes him a prince, and then he comes into Agrabah on this parade, right? He's parading, celebra- celebrating. He's got his servants out in front of him with these gold camels, throwing money and food out to those who uh, are in the town, those who are in, uh, in poverty. And uh, people, you know, there's music playing. He's got exotic fruits and animals. He's on his elephant. And there's all this fanfare to say, hey, look, I'm a prince. I'm a prince. Do you see me? But really in the movie, Aladdin has no power. He has no dominion. He has no land. He has no ability to exercise exercise any sort of power. No one answers to him. He's not really a prince. But Jesus is real and his miracles reveal it. We have to understand this. I have to understand this. That you are not the totality of the power of Jesus or the extent of his kingdom. You are. Me, I, I am not. You are not the totality of the power of Jesus or the extent of his kingdom. We get to be observers of him establishing his kingdom. And then we put our belief in him, believing that he will deliver us. But whatever we experience, whatever we see, that does not define what is true and real. Jesus came in miracles. And when Jesus said to John, look at what I'm doing Believe me. And John didn't even get to see the greatest miracle, which we've all gotten to see, which is the resurrection, which firmly established Jesus as king of heaven. One of the great benefits that we get to have and why it's important to be a part of the church is that we get to share testimony with one another. We get to help each other lift our eyes off of our own position. That moment in that train, that pastor shared a testimony with me, Nick Do you not realize how blessed we are? Look at what we're a part of. Nick, in this week alone, we've gotten to talk to sex slave trade, women who are trapped in the sex slave trade who are now free, have become fully committed daughters of Jesus and are now going back into the same brothels in order to rescue women. Do you not see the favor that we have on campus? Do you not see eight, nine partnering organizations and churches coming halfway across the world to work together to establish something? Do you not see what Jesus is doing? And we get to report testimonies to one another. I would want to pause right now. And I want to report a testimony here at Covenant. One of the many things the Lord is doing in and amongst us. Last week I got to be a part of, I was privileged to be a part of, being able to watch Teresa baptize her friend Pamela Grindstaff. Now, Teresa, a year ago, didn't believe in God. She did not know God. But it was 
over the course of last summer into last fall that God began to powerfully break into her life, even through dreams and visions. So much so that Teresa came to this point where she said, Jesus is real and true. I want to bow my knee to him. Last February, just this past February, we got to baptize Teresa in our church family and acknowledge the work of Christ in her life. Pamela saw the work of Jesus in Teresa's life. And she's like, my friend's life is completely different. She is not the same person. This Jesus is real deal. Pamela would tell you she was kind of one foot in and one foot out. She's like, I'm tired of being on the fence. I want to be all in. And so she too now is baptized and said, I'm now all in with Jesus. And we're going to pause right now. And I want you to watch this video with me. I'm clapping by myself in the church. <laughs> There's like four of us here. I hope you're clapping with me back at in your living rooms as you watch that. I don't know where you're at personally with the Lord. I don't know where you're at with either being able to feel or experience or see the deeds of Christ in his kingdom. But let us lift our eyes off ourselves and let us see the work of Jesus in a sister like Pamela and a sister like Teresa. That God is at work, whether we can see it in this moment or not, God, Jesus is at work. So disappointments can obviously be a place where our eyes begin to become uh, uh, shielded, blocked from seeing the advancement of Jesus' kingdom, but also our own unmet expectations can be a blind spot as well. This very last verse, I want to address it here, when Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why would he say this to John? That you've got to understand, John had an expectation. I mean, like, his message was this. He was, when, when John preached, he was saying, hey, God is going to deliver his people Israel by grace and mercy. He's going to deliver them and establish them. And he's going to bring justice to the evil, wicked powers that be in our world. He's going to put them in the right place. He's going to judge them. He's going to disarm them. That was John's message. And he thought Jesus would do both at the same time. He anticipated that the Messiah would come and he would thwart the powers of Rome or thwart the establishment, uh, the evil, corrupt establishment in Israel at the time, but he didn't. And so John was disappointed. And what Jesus is saying is, do not be offended by my methods. Yeah, we all can agree. We want justice and salvation and love. But sometimes in the process, as we walk with Jesus, we're offended because his methods are not our methods. Have you ever been offended by Christ? Have you ever been offended because he didn't save or deliver on your timeline? He didn't save or deliver the way that you were anticipating or expecting? He didn't bring justice that moment in that day? William Barclay kind of sums it up, paraphrases it like this. This is kind of what Jesus was getting at with John. He said this, John, maybe I'm not doing the things you expected me to do, but the powers of evil are being defeated not by an irresistible power, but by an unanswerable love. John, the powers of evil are being defeated not by an irresistible power, but by an unanswerable love. John was expecting Jesus to kind of come and uh, deliver the people of Israel and then go Rambo on evil. And he didn't. He wasn't coming in that kind of power. He came in an unanswerable love. You see, the Son of Man is also the suffering servant. 
The Son of Man who descends in the clouds is also the one that was nailed on the cross by his own enemies. He was the one who gave his life to his enemies, who put him on a cross, who broke his body and shed his blood in humiliation. And this method won a victory over sin and death, over Satan and the evil powers of our world. But that path is offensive to us. Because I want to see Jesus come in power and deliverance right here, right now, because I can get behind that. I can watch that movie. But Jesus comes and puts himself on a cross. And Jesus says, will you not be offended by me? John, will you believe in me? If you believe in me, man, I'm going to get us there. I'm going to establish my kingdom in all of its power and all of its glory. But you must believe in me. You must follow me. That's a question for us. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you see Jesus? In this time where our world and our country is very much struggling with, with justice, and what does justice mean for us right here and now, do we continue to look at the power structures of our world? Or are we willing to trust Christ to deliver us? It didn't end in this world for John very well. He ended up being beheaded. Jesus' deliverance is never in this lifetime. It's in the next. Are we willing to believe him? So I want to ask you some questions for you to think about in closing. Do you have disappointments? Or what disappointments might be shielding you from seeing the power of Christ? What is blocking you potentially from seeing the true nature and power of the kingdom of God? Are you willing to embrace that Christ comes in an unanswerable love? Are you willing to admit that you don't even know what an unanswerable love looks like, that we must, that you must look at Jesus to understand what that means? Are you willing to trust Jesus to deliver you, to deliver all of us into his kingdom where there's love and justice and peace and his reign and rule that is good and for eternity? We're going to walk this thing out over the next three weeks. How do we access this? How do we live in this? We first must ask ourselves, do we believe? Do we see his deeds? Because us seeing the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven, is precedent, is set upon us seeing Jesus, the king. So we're going to transition to a time of communion. It's very fitting because communion as a church, we take because we remember the prominent deeds of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And as we take these elements this morning, go ahead and take them right now. We're going to remember that Christ didn't come in an irresistible power. He came in an unanswerable love. He broke his body. He shed his blood at the hands of his enemies. It appeared as if he was defeated. When three days later he rose again, he showed that he was a true victor and the true eternal king who we put our hope in. So let us take right now the bread and remembrance of his body that he broke for us. Take and eat. And now we take the juice that represents his blood 
that he shed, that he gave his own life to secure our life. We take this in remembrance of his deeds. Lord Jesus, I confess, I get so wrapped up into only what I see on this earth, only the reports I hear on this earth, only reports of evilness and wickedness. God, I am too prone to be stuck in my own life, to see only myself. In those moments when I feel like I'm in the dungeon or I'm disappointed that I can only see me And I just don't believe, I doubt your power and your working. I don't really truly believe and trust you to deliver me into your eternal kingdom. Lord God, where we do not have faith, would you increase our faith? Lord, would you set our eyes on you, Jesus, that we might see you and thus behold the kingdom of heaven. Amen.